0: Hello everyone, it's Victoria Stapleton from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I'm here with a new episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. I enjoy every one of our episodes, well except for that one time with that one guy and she knows why, but that's not this time or that guy and she doesn't know why because today I'm here with Melanie Conklin. She is a pretty fantastic middle grade author. And I have to say, uh, as some of you know, we purchased some titles from Disney. And at first they said to me, you have to work on all these titles. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, but they're Disney titles. And then I kind of dug into them and I found this gem called Every Missing Piece. And Melanie wrote that book, and I was like, well, okay, maybe this isn't bad at all. Maybe this is super fantastic and delightful, because I read about Maddie and her family situation. Oh, my heart breaks for poor Stan and Billy. I just really loved this book immediately, and there's been a lot of praise for it. Uh, Publishers Weekly uses one of my favorite adjectives Nimble, And then BCCB compared uh, Melanie's writing to Rebecca Stead and Erin Entrada Kelly, which are not, you know, small things. So uh, it's a high bar, but it's a satisfying read. It's a highly moral and interesting read. Some of you may know Melanie from her earlier novel, Counting Time not published by Disney or by Little Brown Books for Young Readers, so I'm not going to mention who published it, and I don't care. (laughs) But you have a Google machine, and you can look it up. So, Melanie, welcome to LBYR, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I really enjoyed this book. I love a book where there's a lot to think about because I, I do have ideas about middle grade fiction. And we'll get to my soapbox on that at the end of it. But I feel like this book really hit every one of my buttons. And I felt so deeply for Maddie. But what I really enjoyed is you have an expert balance of voice and place and plot and building a character. And so I kind of want to have you focus on constructing Maddie as a literary character in in the sense of you have to the things of, you know, physical description or settling on the voice and settling on the circumstances, but also thinking about the psychological formation of that character. How do you develop your characters morally and psychologically in developing the novel? That is a big question. I'm so sorry, but (laughs) I believe in you. Having read your book, I believe you can answer big questions.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for the faith.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you get started on this? How do you do this work of constructing the character? Well, for me, when I start a book, it begins with the character. I
1: have accepted that in my writing process, I will write the wrong plot the first two or three times that Mm -hmm. I draft a novel, and that is because my novels are built on the character's emotional arc. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm exploring in those early drafts is connecting with this character to discover what their wound is that they have in the past and what kind of plot they need to experience in order to learn and grow. Because mm-hmm. we all know, we know plot is just the course of events that happen in a story. Mm-hmm. But story it's how the plot affects your character and makes them change and grow Mm -hmm. so that's what i'm interested in is how do we change as human beings you know (laughs) it's not easy for me but i love exploring how do these characters change because of what happens with them because that's why we read we read to find out how these characters will act and what choices they will make So that's what I'm exploring. That's what I love to try to dig through when I'm writing.
0: I love that because I do, I agree with you. And then I also think the books are living beings because they're changed every time we read them. And I'm intrigued to hear about your revision process or your rewriting process, um, Mm -hmm. particularly with this book, because it is almost as if you're reading the story as you write it. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Maddie, at what point did you begin with her and at what point did it feel right with her that you had her right story?
1: Well, for me, when I start exploring, I have, an, I have a what if that comes to mind mm-hmm. and that's where the whole story comes from. And for me, the what if in every missing piece, what if you found a missing child? That was a what if that I thought about as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we had posters that we saw in the grocery store. And we had those milk cartons with pictures on the back at school, cause I am that old. I remember as a child looking at those pictures very intently and trying to put that person's face into my brain in case I saw them so that I could do the right thing and help them. So that what if was with me for a long time. What if you found someone that you thought was a missing child? So I had the what if at first, and I wrote a story of, you know, this, a girl who meets a new boy in her neighborhood and suspects he may be a child who had gone missing. And there, that was an interesting question and I wanted to find out the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But it took me a while to find out why Maddie personally needs to know the answer to the question. You know, I feel like sometimes when I read a story, a book, it will fall a little flat because the character wants something desperately Mm -hmm. But we don't connect with why. And what's really important is that your character has to have a deeply personal reason to need to reach their goal. Um, it has to be deeply personal. So when it's a overarching, a universal goal like, I want to save the world that's, that's not something that we as humans are capable of connecting with and really feeling emotion over. It Mm -hmm. needs to be personal. So it's, I want to save my baby brother while the world is ending. That is something we can relate to. So with Maddie, I had to get to know her. I knew she was anxious and kind of trying to use control to keep herself safe, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that I do in my own life. And I finally, at one point in doodling in my notebook, realized that this wound that she had in her past had to do with her father's death. Her father passed away in a tragic accident and Maddie believes it's her fault, you know, and that's so universal for children and for people that we think things are our fault that oftentimes are not. And um, so Maddie is trying to figure out what's going on with this missing boy because she wants to keep him safe and she's trying to keep everyone safe, but what she really needs is to see past that kind of misbelief that she has about her father's death and to risk loving and connecting people with people again, Um, but that's scary when you've been hurt, you know, in the past, and so once I discovered, oh, this is what happened to her in her past, then all of her actions and choices in the plot make sense, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm looking for the whole time, is that, I forget who said this, but there's a writer who said, you know, the best stories are both completely predictable, but completely unexpected. So you're, you feel comfortable and correct in what you're reading, but you're surprised at exactly what's happening. And I'm trying to hit that spot when I work on a character.
0: (laughs) One of the reasons I, I very much enjoy Maddie is, and you hit on this, the deeply personal why I see Maddie trying to displace the fractures of her own life by trying to address the fractures around her. Uh I like this idea that you've expressed of she's trying to protect herself by protecting others. She's not dealing with her issues. She's Uh dealing with the the perimeter of her issues, almost. And that's interesting to think about. She's focused on a missing child when really underneath she's focused on her missing father why is it important for billy to be that missing child when she can't let stan phil not phil but go i don't know what the proper verb is you're the writer you need to help me with the proper verb
1: well well with stan see i'll tell the listeners here but um so maddie has a new stepfather his name is stan Mm -hmm. um I think Stan's a swell guy, but um, Maddie's having a hard time connecting with him and really allowing herself to risk having a relationship with mm-hmm. him. And I think that in in dealing with this plot that happens to her when when she she discovers that this child could be missing and what's, wants to figure out what's going on with him, the plot takes her through experiences that undermine this misbelief she has she thinks that if she controls everything enough Mm -hmm. she can keep everything safe and she can avoid being hurt Mm -hmm. but in order to build a connection with another human being you have to take on risk you have to risk loving them and risk that that might hurt you eventually and so as she goes through this story and comes to know this boy and his family situation she Mm -hmm. learns that the risk is worth it sometimes and that sometimes you have to take make risky choices and um she ends up opening her heart but against her will because all characters you know they're fighting a change we don't want to change as human beings i don't want to change i'm bad at it and so maddie doesn't want to let go of this protection mechanism Mm -hmm. that she has because then she might get hurt and um she finds out that you know you can't control everything perfectly. You might still get hurt anyway. And what you need to do is make your choices and allow yourself to connect with other people and love them because that can also lead to salvation and security, yeah. not just pain. So that's a complicated thing to go through. It's funny because I empathize so much with my characters because like I just said, I, I resist change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it takes me a long time like, to wrap my head around even a small change. Um, and I think that's because I'm afraid that I'm going to make a mistake or I'm going to be wrong. Um, and so I connect with that balance of fear, but also loneliness. Like if you don't connect with anybody, you're you're lonely and you, you want love. We're human beings. But it's complicated because Maddie lost her father and she doesn't want to feel like she's losing him. Yeah. And so she has to learn that you can love multiple people. Yeah. And it doesn't mean she has to stop loving her father to have a relationship with her stepfather yeah. that is close. It, it, it's, for me, that's all the meat of stuff that I love to explore with characters because I'm endlessly fascinated with what makes us tick as human beings. You know, we have that perimeter. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that surface level and everybody, everything seems very causative. A leads to B, but that's not what's going on. You know, we are making these choices in our subconscious from a lifetime of experiences you know, and for me, I want to understand why this character is acting this way. And then when I get to the why, I want to be very emotionally engaged about that why, because it's something that I've also struggled with as a human being. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a balance between having universal themes that people can tap into, but as you mentioned that deeply personal, specific issues that the character is trying to grow past 'Cause you have to. I think that's why I write middle grade. Because you're kinda growing up, but you're not ready for it. And so these things are these are big, small things can be very big at that age and create huge change in the mm-hmm. character. Yes. So I love it. I love exploring that in middle grade. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, steady listeners of the podcast will know that I have a theory about what is different why middle grade is different than YA. is not the age of the characters because that age range of between eight and 13 there is a huge amount of psychological and moral and cognitive plasticity not every 12 year old not every 10 year old not every eight year old is at the same place on each of these scales and while you can have a very cognitive cognitively accomplished eight-year-old they can be emotionally not there yet you can have a very emotionally well-developed 13 year old but not you know they don't have those cognitive abilities that maybe some younger ones have there's a lot of of um, variability in this area so this allows me to think about middle grade as a place where the arbitrariness of the world is disproved mm-hmm. you know six-year-olds you know, like uh, are used to their parents saying but I said so that's why Exactly, And then in middle grade fiction, and I think a really good piece of middle grade fiction, such as every missing piece, these characters are experiencing the world around them and they're experiencing mess. They are experiencing choices, but they are, they understand the world is what adults made it. And Maddie is confronting the fact, yes, she has a, her choices have some bearing on why her father is not with her anymore. I don't want to say, I don't want to have like a big moral word attached to that because I just, you know, this, it, it, having a big moral word attached to that employ, implies she had some sort of agency or volition about, I don't want my dad yeah. around, etc. But it does feed into her because she, her actions and choices have some bearing on the world she lives in now and she's understanding this. Mm-hmm. That is frightening. under Confronting so clearly how choices make the world is really, I think, so starkly portrayed but sympathetically portrayed in this book. And then counterpointing that, I know I'm supposed to be really fixated on Billy, (laughs) but I really just do think about Stan because he's sort of a counterpoint of like he moves to a different place. Mm -hmm. He marries a woman with a child. He is completely the fish out of water, but his sense of risk and his sense of choices, investment, continuing risk, willing to be wrong willing to fail, is interesting mm-hmm. as a model for many. I, uh,
1: I enjoy when I'm, when I'm working on a book, after I get through the mess of the first draft, which is just a subconscious dump, right? Mm-hmm. Then I, when I'm revising, one of the things I do is I chart each character, Ooh. whether they're the primary character, all of the secondary characters, and some of the tertiary characters. I, as a reader, really enjoy it when every character in the book has a character arc Mm -hmm. I I like because people are always growing and changing Mm -hmm. so I I tend to really notice very static or cardboard characters in books don't feel real to me Mm -hmm. um I get that comment a lot like your books these people just seem real they seem like real people and I've wondered gee how do I do that but um and so I've thought about it a lot and I think it's that um no one is one extreme or the other. We all inhabit this gray area, you know? And so in this book specifically, I really explored that gray area with all of the characters, this idea that there are no just good or bad people. Mm-hmm. There are just people mm. and that people make good and bad choices. So yes, Stan is very much a foil for Maddie in that he's on a different journey that's kind of uh, opposite hers. And, Meanwhile, there are other characters in the book. You can see resisting change in other ways. Um, You can see every character. There's kind of question in Mattie's mind. Is this a good or bad person? And she's trying to categorize everybody. And as she goes through this experience and meets these other characters and has new experiences, she learns that there is no good or bad person. There's just people. And I really enjoyed exploring that here. I know there are several characters who are, um, who kind of elicit some strong responses, because there are some bad choices from some of the adults in this book.
0: All right, give us Uh, an example of some of the strong choices, strong strong reactions you've heard from this.
1: Yeah, well, um, there there is a mother character in this in this story who has made some very strong choices. And um, when you hear about them on the surface, mm-hmm. like if you see the, the the headline, the byline on the news, yep. at that level, you judge her and you feel like this is not a good person. And it's very easy from those external actions to think, oh, she's just this person is a mess. This isn't a good person. She's not fit. Mm-hmm. But then, as you get to know these people and you learn more about what her story is, there are layers. Nothing is is as simple as it seems, mm-hmm. and my perfect, my my favorite place to end up with a character is that you're kind of not sure sometimes how you feel about them. Uh, I like it when you have mild um, disgust with a character, where you're like, I don't really think I like this person, and then I like to show the reader some new things that they didn't know about and have them go, oh. Well, maybe they're not that bad. These these are these are my favorite characters in book. Rebecca in books. Rebecca Stead is a genius at doing this. Mm-hmm. She will show you a character that you can judge very easily, superficially, and then by the end of the story, you feel totally different about that person, and you maybe even love them. And and I I love that journey as a reader. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm really trying to do with my secondary characters, especially. And so exploring that it, it scared me at first when I wrote this. And I showed it to my agent and I, I felt very much like nobody's going to want to publish this. Like this, this touches on some serious stuff yeah. and it's a little polarizing. And uh, I was very surprised that publishing was like, let's do it. And so I'm excited to be here you know, on this journey with you guys now because it is fun as readers are reading the book. I get tagged in a lot of posts where people go, No spoilers. I don't want to tell you what happens, but you really have to read this book. <laughs> and I'm hoping for that. I'm trying for it. <laughs> well,
0: I, th- I think you've done a really great job of it. I love how you're talking about layers and the four dimensionality of, of the book, because I do think, I really do think of books as persons. Um, they have all sorts of these aspects to them, but one of them is time. Mm. And it's the time of your writing it, but it's also the time of reading the book the time in which the book ripples in the reader and changes them for the next moments of their lives or even rereading the book. I I think of Every Missing Piece as a very, I don't wanna say archeological because I take your point about constructed characters and how they're flat. I think of the book as very biological in the sense of a garden and as an ecology. You know, the place is very important, and I'm going to ask you about the place setting of the book in a Mm -hmm. second. But it's an ecology of choices. It's an ecology of moralities that you set up that Maddie has to navigate, explore, discover, and define for herself. You know, again, talking about, you know, which characters are good, which characters are not so good really how she has to use, you know, discover the the fact of choices, you know, that they exist, that she's making them, that they have consequences, that she uh-huh. has to decide for herself in a lot of ways. That's the change to middle to, from middle grade to young adult. And young adult, you're actually, yeah, okay, I'm making those choices. Oh. So Mad- Maddie really is on that edge of moving from one stage to the next. And it's that ecology of characters and ecology of decision making that she's really confronting. And then you pair it with place and her connection to place. Can you talk a little bit about the setting as an uh, it, it relates to the plot, but as it re- relates to these characters and how they developed? Yeah, I
1: know some authors tend to write stories that are set kind of in the same place. Like they like to write stories set in a certain city or they have a fictional place that they often mm-hmm. set their stories. For me, when I'm thinking of the, the, what the meat of this story is, what the character's emotional arc is, it is very important for me that the setting is also an antagonist for the character. Mm-hmm. So that is the way I approach setting. It feels right when the setting is to some degree part of the problem and a struggle for the character. It's interesting because as I was thinking about this, story of this girl and and finding a missing child. And for me, it just took me right back to my childhood, which was in North Carolina, where the book is set. And I've lived in a lot of other places, big cities, Chicago, New York, and they have different feeling. For this story, I wanted the intimate setting where people know a little bit more of your business, where your community is physically smaller, fewer Mm -hmm. number of people, Um, where this community, because it has fewer people, is in your business, but is also kind of your extended family, which is something that happens in smaller towns. It happens in subdivisions, you know, where neighbors get to know each other and you have this feeling of extended family. And having grown up in the South, uh, my parents are actually from Buffalo, so they're not heritage Southerners. So growing up down there, I had kind of this dichotomy of growing up in North Carolina and having all the experiences of a child from the South, but also not being from the South um, Mm. and having that sometimes be an issue and clash with friends or the community. And I reflected a lot on that uh, in this, in every missing piece, I decided that's where I wanted to set it. I wanted to write these times from my childhood and I wanted to show how this community is so interwoven and how there is a community morality that really plays into the events in the story. Because um, I, I believe that you could set a story anywhere, right? But it's going to work best in certain settings. So the goal is to find where is the setting that amplifies this character's journey the most. And in this setting, I loved that it brought even more layers of, of, of choice and morality into it. because So this is a community and they're dealing with some big issues that have to do with interpersonal family dynamics. And because they are a small and interwoven community, there is loyalty, there is protection, there is a different risk-taking hierarchy than you might find in other places. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been interesting to talk with people about because everyone who reads it, who's from back home or in the South, I get a lot of, oh my gosh, you really know what it's like to grow up in the South. And I don't think it's how you describe the trees or the birds, I think it's how you show those emotional connections in a community and how that community is a living, breathing being that also makes good and bad choices and also has room to grow. And so uh, that for me is important. I say, how is this setting an antagonist? How does it interact with my character's journey? Because that character has to go through it to change. You have to really push someone to change. Mm -hmm. Um, and man, that's the struggle of middle school, right? I was very late to mature and, uh, you know, I struggled in middle school with other people growing up around me and makeup and wearing bras and doing all these. And I, I just wasn't ready for any of it. I was Mm -hmm. still like a third grader mentally. (laughs) And so my characters often have that kind of flavor where they're they're just not ready for what's happening to them, but they also, by the end, needed it to happen to them. So you know, that's that's the that's the, the rub as human beings, right? We're never ready for what's happening to us, but we need to go through it <laughs> to change and grow.
0: I, I just, as you were talking about that setting as antagonist, I mm-hmm. that just something just clicked for me in that, and then of course talking about really not so much the landscape but the people. Mm-hmm. going back to the deeply personal reasons and, and the why, why? but um, I just came up with a whole new comp for this book in my head and people may laugh <laughs> at me, but don't at me because I think it's true. I'm now thinking of this book as an emotional adventure tale. And I would say hatchet is a good con for this book now because it's about emotional survival and the terms of emotional survival and sort mm-hmm. of, that unfamiliar wilderness, almost.
1: Yeah, that very much. That that's through. actually my husband's favorite book too, and so we talk
0: about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so my my
1: subconscious probably had that in there. <laughs> I love that.
0: Sorry for making the high 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 tight sound in the ear holes, people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't squee. I go. <laughs> So I'm going to throw a curveball at you because it just occurred to me and I'm ashamed of myself of not sending this to you in the email earlier. Do you have a particular sentence that you love from this book? Oh, a
1: particular sentence that I love. Thanks. That
0: you you just were like, "Yep, yeah, nailed it. <sighs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'm actually, I'm,
1: I'm pretty proud of the opening line of this book. Um, I think for that's me a... as a reader, it's really important that my entry into the book grabs my attention from the first sentence, the first paragraph, mm-hmm. the first page, the end of the first chapter. There are these moments when you need to engage me as a reader. And that's a big goal for me. And I like unique and curious opening sentences, you know, and this one is, I'll read it to make sure that I don't mess I was up. I'm going to ask you, know. you
0: to read it for
1: us, please. <laughs> the day Billy Holcomb went missing tornadoes made me miss the bus. And for me, when you read that, you go, Well, why? This kid went missing. What? What's happening? Why are you afraid of tornadoes? Like it it raises three or four questions. It's funny. <laughs> I, I wrote that line very, very early mm-hmm. and it's never changed. And 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 I think sometimes most writers can relate to that. You have certain lines here and there that were exactly the way that they came out in your notebook. And then there are other lines that you revise 15 times and you still hate them when it goes to publication. <laughs> but, um, we will
0: not ask that about thing. that. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: But this, this book, I felt like I really wanted to make every word count and be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always trying to write more and more compact stories that really pull you through them and that are easy to read, that you just enjoy the read and the ride. And it's not work. Mm-hmm. So for me, that opening st- sentence, whenever I read that in a Skype visit with classrooms, all of the kids stop moving. Like they immediately stop moving, stop fidgeting, mm-hmm. stop j- moving their hands and rocking and stuff. And they are glued. And I love seeing that. That is, it is very satisfying. And then what's, what's a nice insight there is that I, as a child, was afraid of tornadoes. So that's
0: where that comes from. <laughs> Let's just sit with that line. One more time. The day Billy Holcomb went missing, tornadoes made me miss the bus. It's compact in terms of word count. It's compact in terms of syllables. It's very prosaic in terms of just saying it. And yet, when you think about the meaningfulness of it, a whole world opens up right after that. So I do think it is an excellent symbol of the novel. And I will tell you, listeners, throughout the uh, universe, I've been told that first lines are the best first lines that have ever been written. And then I read those uh, (laughs) manuscripts, and I read that first line, and I'm like, that is a really great first line. And then I read the last line, and I'm like, oh, honey, no. No, (laughs) you spent so much time on that first line that you forgot there's a whole other book that has to come after that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so, sweetheart. I don't. Love, oh, precious darling, love. No, but I will tell the listeners that the last line is really good too. We're not going to read it because you listeners do need to read it for yourselves, and every sentence in between is really good as well. Uh, oh, Melanie, thanks. thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I really appreciate your time on this beautiful June. Morning somewhere in the digital universe. <laughs> Speaking of messy emotional settings. Where are we? What are we doing? Why why are we doing? <laughs> but these, my friends, are questions and answers for another podcast on another time. Every missing piece is available now. It should be on your bedside table now. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. We'll see you next time.